Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and I'm bringing you another classic episode of Tech Stuff. If you guys haven't figured this out, I am preparing for a vacation, and that means that I have to add in extra recording time, but uh, unfortunately, getting extra time for potential co-hosts is a really challenging thing, so I've recorded a couple of, um, you know, updates to old episodes. This time I wanted to talk about the U-2 spy plane. You know, recently Ben Bolin joined me for an episode about the super secret space plane and what it might be up to. Uh, and that reminded me of this classic episode of Tech Stuff about the U-2 spy plane. Uh, also, I was thinking about the U-2 spy plane because I still have uh, my Negative Land episode on the brain. If you missed that episode, you should definitely check it out. It's really awesome. Noel did an amazing job producing that episode. And of course, Negative Land is the performance group that got into a little bit of legal trouble when they had a sort of spoof on a U2 song come out. But you can hear all about that in the episode about Negative Land. Oh, and I also was thinking about U2 because even though it happened months ago, it still kind of makes me chuckle that Apple essentially forced a new U2 album onto everyone who owns an iPhone, whether they wanted it or not. Uh, obviously, that 
didn't pan out exactly the way they had planned, the best intentions did not lead to the best outcomes in that case. But pretty amusing. At any rate, U2's been on my mind, so it's time to talk about the actual spy plane. Not the band, not the negative land piece. But it's an interesting story. I hope you enjoy this classic episode of Tech Stuff. As Chris Paulette and I look back about where that spy plane came from and how it played such an important role in surveillance over the years. We were going to talk today about uh, an interesting thing that I saw yeah. uh, the other day, uh, which is, um, well, in a way, it's sort of a drone because it, it starts with a uh, the RQ-4 Global Hawk. Yes. A, a drone aircraft that is... Um, well, its status is sort of in question right now. As of the time we're recording this, they're uh, negotiating the budget for uh, the United, you know, uh, the defense budget for the United States of America. Yeah, um, and uh, that's one of the items that was considered to be struck. Now, of course, um, over the past few years, unmanned aerial vehicles have been. Uh, coming up a lot in the news. They've been uh, instrumental in several of the uh, the military uh, engagements around the world with the United States. I mean, mm-hmm, U.S. Mm-hmm. Has, has employed unmanned aerial vehicles in lots of cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the proposal was that there would be $342 million budgeted um, to, uh, to work on the Global Hawk. And uh, as it turns out, uh, it, it's been proposed that uh, they drop the item entirely in favor of a m- much more, uh, much more or less cutting edge technology yeah. in a way. And the reason, one of the reasons to talk about cutting this whole global hawk thing is because uh, it's expensive. Yeah, the estimated cost of a single global hawk is 176 million dollars. That's expensive. So they had they had enough. Uh, they had just. They didn't even quite have enough money in the budget for two of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you could get one and seven eighths of a global hawk for the budget they had proposed. Mm-hmm. So the, the alternative right now for a, and the, the purpose of the global hawk, we should say, it's, is a, it's a reconnaissance aircraft. Yes, it, it doesn't uh, attack people. It is, it is there for surveillance purposes. Yeah, specifically spying. Yes. So, you know, there are a lot of unmanned aerial vehicles that have been developed over the last several years. Many of them are designed to get a real-time uh, uh, feel of what's going on in certain environments. And they, uh, they're they designed to do things like fly through areas that could be combat zones. But they're not necessarily designed to spy, to be you know, able to, to fly through undetected. It's more about getting as quick and accurate a picture of the situation as it exists right now, rather than let's go find out what those pesky so-and-sos over there are doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So our pesky so-and-so technology uh, tends to be much more sneaky. It's designed to be very fast. Usually it's designed to fly very, very high uh, so that it can try to avoid things like radar as well as missiles, you know, attempts to take it down. Uh, and it's designed to try and gather as much information as quickly as possible. Uh, and since the 1950s, that technology has been one particular type of aircraft in the United States. Uh, even though we've tried to replace it on multiple occasions, we're still using it today. And the it's what we will be using instead of the Global Hawk, the Lockheed U-2. Yes. Believe it or not, 
Um, they're saying that the, the U2 is actually a better piece of technology uh, in, in some ways than the, uh, the newer unmanned aerial vehicle. And like I said, the replacement for the U2 has, has, was built mm-hmm. and was retired already. <laughs> which was the SR-71 Blackbird, but we'll get yes. into that. Oh, I uh, love the SR-71 It's a gorgeous design, right? Yep. So the, yeah, the Blackbird, which was designed to be the replacement for the U-2, <laughs> it actually lived out its useful life in the U.S. Air Force and then was retired because, uh, well, it was really expensive to maintain as mm-hmm. well. In fact, well, and I'll talk about why it was expensive to maintain because that's kind of an interesting story. But to to understand the U-2, we have to go back quite a bit. And we're not going to use the Wayback Machine because uh, I found out that uh, Stuff You Should Know used it about a week and a half ago. And apparently they left it somewhere. Like oh, they actually great. hoofed it back from 1347. And I have no idea what they were doing back then. But uh, yeah, so I have no idea. We have to track it down. So we're just going to have to talk about it today. All right, then. But, well, um, so mm-hmm. then you would probably go back in time if we were using the machine. Yes. To... Uh, about, uh, well, August 1955 is the first day it ever flew. Yes, August 1st, 1955. It's the first flight of the U-2. Now, the whole purpose for developing the U-2 stems out of the Cold War between yes. the United States and the then USSR. Yes. Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole reason for it was that we needed to have, we being the United States, because of from the U.S., the United States needed to have some sort of vehicle to get an idea of what was going on in a potential uh, uh, wartime enemy. Mm-hmm. Now, the Cold War was uh, was called the Cold War because it wasn't like there were uh, actual physical outbreaks of violence between the two countries, but it was a true rivalry of global proportions going on between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we there were needs. Each each country felt the need to find out as much about what was going on in the other country as possible, and so they were developing their own ways of spying on each other. Mm-hmm. Of course, this also uh, figured into the space race. Um, we've talked about the thing what beeped. Yes, uh, Sputnik. Sputnik that they sent up uh, from the Soviet Union um, shortly after that period. Uh, but it was around the same time they were looking for ways to spy on each other. Yeah. Uh, of course, satellite technology entered into it, but uh, the U-2 predates uh, satellite. that because, and, and I mean, it was already flying by by that point. Yeah. So uh, this is during the Eisenhower administration in the mm-hmm. United States history. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there were several the, – the government, the United States government actually invited several different companies to submit proposals for a – Spy plane. Mm-hmm. That's pretty typical, right? And the the company that won out was Lockheed. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, a fellow by the name of Clarence Kelly Johnson mm-hmm. who was put in charge of the development of this spy plane. Uh, Johnson also was instrumental in creating the the facility that was the testing grounds for this particular airplane. And that facility has gone on to gain incredible notoriety. Yes, partially because it was very innovative and partially because it just has a very cool name. And it was very, very, very secret about everything. And that cool name, at least that's the, the popular name for it, mm-hmm. is Area 51. Yes. So if you always wondered what Area 51 was about and you've heard about things like UFOs and aliens. UFOs. What it really was about was a testing ground for secret aircraft. And the U-2 was very much a secret aircraft. The United States did not 
really talk about what the U2 was for until they were forced to. And we'll get into that story, too, because that's pretty dramatic. Yeah. yeah. But but before we get into that, let's talk more about what the U2 actually was. And uh, uh, oh, and in case you're just wondering, Area 51, also popularly known as Groom Lake, because it's a, a dry lake bed was where mm-hmm. it was built on. And uh, I think in the future, we're going to have to do a podcast all about Area 51 because it was such a cool place. Mm-hmm. It's not really a not really a thing anymore. Yeah, but um, it was definitely a neat idea, and some really cool technology was developed there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, getting back to the U two. Yep, it's got a uh, now. Um, this this sucker can fly at uh, at altitudes of more than seventy thousand feet. Twenty one thousand meters. Yes, um, that's pretty high up. Yeah, to no, say the very least. That's when you think about commercial jetliners are tend to be between thirty and thirty five thousand feet. Sometimes a little higher. Uh, you know, that's more than twice as high up. And, uh, it was built, it was built with a really, really long wings, almost like a glider. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, very light airframe. Yeah, as the, well. uh, the, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, the wingspan of the U2 is about 105 feet, or, you know, 32 meters or so. Uh, the length is 63 feet, or about 19.2 meters, and height, uh, 16 feet. About 4.8 meters. It only weighs 16,000 pounds, uh, which when you think about it is pretty light. That's pretty remarkable, yeah. It's got one General Electric F118-101 engine. Yeah, uh, although there were other engines used in the U-2 during its entire history. Uh, there uh, there was a, a J-57 turbojet engine, the mm-hmm. J-75 turbojet engine, and then the General Electric F118 turbofan engine. Uh, they have all been used in U2s throughout its history of its service in the United States. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Before we get too much further into the technical details, one other interesting element. Originally, this was pitched to the Air Force. Mm -hmm. The Air Force decided it did not the 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 air force decided not to fund it Mm -hmm. the funding came from the cia yeah so the central intelligence agency is actually responsible for the development of the u2 Mm -hmm. and uh in fact the pilots of those early u2s were all cia pilots Mm -hmm. because the idea was that if you had a uh, a plane go down and the pilot of that plane was a member of the United States military, it could look like a military action against another country. Mm-hmm. Because you were a pilot for the CIA, you had to be a civilian. So you actually would go through and and quit a, mil- a branch of the military service. You would no mm-hmm. longer be a part of the Air Force. You would become a civilian and be employed by the CIA, and that would give you the deniability that it was a military action against another country. Right. Sneaky. Well, of course. Um, also, sneaky, if you're wondering how much these aircraft cost, they won't tell you that no. information is classified. There's actually a lot of information classified about the U-2. Like, we can't tell you specifically all the different sensors that are on board a U-2. We can tell you that it does have a camera, mm-hmm. uh, actually it has multiple cameras in order sure. to, to get a visual a representation of what's what it's flying over. It also has sensors that can detect the quality of the air and, and perhaps even sniff out things like uh, chemicals that would be indicative of a nuclear facility in mm-hmm. the area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got Supposedly, it has sensors that can allow it to even eavesdrop on cell phone conversations. Interesting. And there's also a data link that allows it to upload information in real time to mm. a uh, remote location. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's got a. It has infrared cameras and an optical bar camera, um, and uh, it does have a uh, you know uh, advanced radar capabilities as well. Um, so it's uh, it's certainly able to pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the world around it. 
um, even from the altitudes that it can reach. Uh, it does have a crew of one. We know that much. Yeah, it's it's it, designed to be a one-person uh, aircraft. I have heard that there are a few examples of two-man U-2s, but they are specifically built for training purposes. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. are not. They're not actually used in service. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does. It can reach a speed of about 410 miles per hour. It's not. Uh, you know, we're not talking about uh, breaking the speed of sound. No. Um, which is unlike the SR-71. Yes, which that was one of the reasons why the SR-71 was developed was they wanted the government wanted something that was even faster and could fly even higher mm-hmm. than the U-2. And the SR-71 could do both those things. It could mm-hmm. fly at an altitude of around 90,000 feet, and it could fly very fast indeed. Yes, which works for the X-Men. Yes. Sort of. Yeah. Um, and uh, More often than not. <laughs> and if you're wondering, uh, there are about 33 of them. They yes. are still active. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, despite, uh, as, as Jonathan said earlier, despite attempts to phase them out as uh, older, outmoded technology – they're just too good at what they do. Yeah, well, it turns out the other stuff that was built to replace them wasn't good enough and mm-hmm. was more expensive. So while you had aircraft that could fly faster and higher, uh, the one of the big drawbacks of the Blackbird was that it did not have a data link. Mm-hmm. So when you sent a Blackbird out on a mission – In the dead of night? You had to wait for it to come back and dump all that information – for you to be able to look at it. You couldn't get updates as the mission was going on, at least not of all the data that it was collecting. You know, the pilot could communicate, presumably. Yeah. Uh, but Smartphone. Yeah. yeah. There's an app for that. <laughs> but uh, Flying over foreign power, LOL. <laughs> nice. R-O-T-F-L. Uh, the, uh, the only... Uh, there were some other interesting things about the U-2. Uh, it's landing gear. Mm-hmm. It has, you know, most most aircraft that we think of today has have the uh, landing gear where there's the, the one set of wheels up front and then the two set of wheels in the back. So it's almost like a tricycle, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, U-2 does not have that. It has uh, more like a bicycle setup. It's got one the, – the front set of wheels and back set of wheels are in line with one another. Mm-hmm. Now, it does have uh, wheels called pogos. That are attached to the wings for takeoff. Mm-hmm. So uh, to give it stability when you're taking off uh, with a U-2. But then once you take off, you jettison those wheels. They're gone. And you only when you're coming into land, you only have those two sets of wheels. So you're thinking, how can you maintain balance? Well, the uh, the wings have skids on them to protect the wings. It's apparently really, really hard to fly a U-2. <laughs> And, and more so, not just because of the landing thing, although landing apparently is one of the most difficult maneuvers you can do with the U-2 because uh, the wings are so wide, uh, the, the uh, a little crosswind can very much affect the U-2. It can start gliding off track, and uh, it's it's really hard to correct for that. Another issue is that it's designed to fly at a very high altitude. Mm-hmm. Well, at that altitude, the atmosphere is not as thick. Yep. It's a thinner atmosphere. Well, in order to give precise controls at that altitude, the controls are extremely responsive mm-hmm. when you are flying through a very thin atmosphere. So just a, t- a tiny little adjustment by the pilot is going to uh, result in a, a pretty dramatic uh, change in the, the plane's behavior. Mm-hmm. All right. When you start going down – you start descending and the atmosphere is starting to get thicker, suddenly those controls aren't as responsive. Mm-hmm. And you have to do more 
to get the plane to do what you want it to do. So as you're descending from that height where you're actually spying and everything and you're coming down, uh, the plane becomes less responsive and the pilot has to use a lot more force to get the plane to do what he wants it or she wants it to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it, it is supposed to be or supposedly one of the most difficult aircraft to master because the two sets of flying uh, uh, scenarios are so different. As if that weren't enough, because of the way the plane is configured, it's kind of hard to see out of. Yeah. Um, the, the nose is very long. Yep. And it's difficult to see, uh, out the back because of the, the, uh, tail. So, uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, Jonathan, I, I've actually seen information that suggests that many pilots call it the most difficult plane in the world to fly. Yeah. And, and that actually requires, in some instances, actually requires a second set of eyes. Somebody else will go up after the U-2 to, uh, to help it get down. Yes. Um, somebody who's sort of, if you will, it's sort of a, a visual spotter. They go, uh, you know, There's, yeah, sometimes you're lined up. Sometimes it's a person in a souped up car. That's a, a second, really? a second U-2 pilot who is, uh, oh. being driven on, in a souped up car going alongside the, the plane as it's coming down and giving verbal directions to the pilot so that the pilot hasn't indication of of how far they are from the surface and whether they need to make any adjustments. Yeah. So they'll be in a car traveling at a pretty good clip of speed. Okay, see I that was my uh that was my assumption because it said my notes say high performance vehicle and it didn't say what kind of vehicle yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a high performance car. So okay. It's the Bluesmobile actually the is Bluesmobile. what it is. And then they just chat, they, they have that that megaphone on top and they're like all right, here's what you got to do. You got to go down 2 feet. Two feet. Anyway, um, so yeah, it, there's that, and then there's also uh, uh, some other interesting things about the U2. Another mm-hmm. reason why it's so hard to fly is that it has to almost always be flying near the maximum speed of the vehicle, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because if it starts to get down below about 19 kilometers per hour below maximum speed, which is 10 knots, mm-hmm. when it starts to drop below 10 knots from its maximum speed at whatever altitude it's at, it starts to stall. So in other words, there's a really narrow... Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hold up. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at The Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the RYOBI 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the RYOBI leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with RYOBI's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Window of performance that the plane can operate at where it's not falling out of the sky. Mm -hmm. It has to be going almost full speed or else it's dropping like a rock. And uh, the pilots have a, uh, a, a special name for that, that little window. You were uh, that little narrow window of uh, of speed. Mm-hmm. Can you do? You, have you? Did you come across that? No, I did not. It's it's a charming name. It is the coffin corner. <laughs> nice. So yeah, yeah. it's um, yeah. Pilots pilots have a, a interesting set of um, of of terms for various things. They have a yes. they have a very dry. And uh, realistic view of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, interesting design. So, why? Well, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, um, well, the design has changed over the years yes, somewhat. Yes. I mean, they've they've made some adaptations for it. It was originally based on the F one hundred four fighter jet, but um, you know, it has they they actually the version that they fly now is somewhat longer and has uh, they've they've upgraded the uh, the avionics systems in the past they didn't originally use digital uh systems they were right. using um analog gauges um but they've they've updated all those things now and mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a much more um i mean of course the plane itself is based on the original design it's just uh it's been adapted and updated as as necessary over the years have uh, have gone by so and for the first several years of mm-hmm. the U-2's existence, <clears throat> the government, of course, did not admit that it had this spy plane. They they said that the U-2 – you know, people knew that the U-2 existed. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know what it was for. And uh, the the reason given mostly was that it was a, a vehicle used to uh, examine the weather patterns and weather conditions. Mm-hmm. It was all about gathering information about – the environment, that it wasn't anything about a spy plane. Well, that all changed on May 1st, 1960. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That is when uh, a pilot, a CIA pilot named Gary Powers was operating a U-2 and crashed in Soviet territory. Mm-hmm. Now, the cause of the crash is has always been disputed. Right. Right? There, there are some reports that say that what happened was he was shot down. Uh, that it was hit the the plane was was hit by a Soviet missile and it caused the plane to crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were other reports that said 
that the U-2 passed through the slipstream of another vehicle, another plane, and that uh, it caused the U-2 to uh, go out of control and a, a wing ripped off of it, and it crashed because of that. There's another report that said missiles were fired at the U-2, but uh, it exploded behind the plane, and mm-hmm. the that the explosion was enough to send it out of control. Uh, what is known is that there was a, unfortunately, there was another pilot, a Soviet pilot, who was uh, flying a MiG, who actually did get hit mm-hmm. by the missiles that were meant for the U-2 plane, and died as a result. Well, Gary Powers was shot down, but he survived. However, he was um, he was used in a a little bit of subterfuge on top of the subterfuge he was already a part of, because the premier of the Soviet Union, uh, Khrushchev. Mm-hmm didn't let the United States know that Powers survived the crash. Instead, what Khrushchev did was he said, uh, the United States had a spy plane over my country, and we shot it down, and you got some splaining to do. Chris is banging the table with his shoe. So if you don't know what that's about, look up Khrushchev and shoe. <laughs> but yes, so Khrushchev, Khrushchev was a little perturbed. Yes, that he was. there was a spy plane over. Well, the it United was an aggressive act. Yes, yeah, and how can you disagree with that? I mean, it was a spy plane. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. So, did the United States say, "Yeah, okay, no"? Because again, the U.S. not aware that Powers was alive, went into the cover story that they had created for this sort of scenario, assuming that Powers had died, the Eisenhower administration said that the plane was just a weather research aircraft. It had accidentally moved into Soviet airspace. It was not meant to be there. The pilot had actually radioed that there were some problems with the equipment aboard the plane that was uh, specifically the oxygen equipment. Because when you're flying at that height, you need to have special equipment to pressurize yes. the cabin. And mm-hmm. in fact, the, the pilots of yeah. the U-2 wear something that's almost like a spacesuit. Yes. Because of the, you know, otherwise you could have some real pressurization problems. So they said, no, 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 it's just a weather aircraft. Uh, it was, there were some problems that we heard about. They were supposed to be over Turkey. Uh, it was completely just a misunderstanding. And that uh, that the plane that was shot down is probably the weather plane. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely not a spy plane. Yeah. And then Khrushchev said, the pilot's alive. <laughs> and we recovered all the information aboard the plane. It was actually in, in good condition. So we know exactly what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And we know exactly what the purpose of this, this vehicle was. And you are a big fibbing fibber. Yes. They, uh, they said that he was okay in Moscow. Um, and he had said, he, he, they said that he told them that he had taken off from, uh, Peshawar in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was told to fly over the Soviet Union, um, basically over the, uh, Aral Sea, over Sverdlovsk, Kirov, Arkhang, I can't pronounce that word, Arkhangelsk, and Murmansk to the, uh, Bodo military airfield in Norway. Yeah. And so they, he, he told them, he, they said he told them the exact route he was supposed to fly. Um, and of course, you know, the, the United States after that was still saying, well, that, that really wasn't, uh, wasn't what was going on there. Yeah. But, and, uh, and it was just very hard to, to deny when they had so right. much. And evidence. there was, and there was a, a supposed to be a, 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 a summit that mm-hmm. was going to be going on, like, I think 
a week or two after this happened. Yes. And it caused quite a stir in international politics. Yeah. Uh, that this, and it was, it was considered to be a very huge, humiliating embarrassment for the United States. And, well, uh, Khrushchev, uh, demanded that the United States stop flying over the, the Soviet Union or, you know, they'd leave. Yeah. Do I need to take my shoe off again? No. I put it back on. No, no. And, uh, ultimately the international community ended up siding more with the United States than with the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, other outcomes of this, uh, Powers was um, was tried and convicted mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union. In August that year. He was sentenced to several years of prison, followed by, I think, seven years of hard labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he ended up getting released as part of an exchange, a prisoner exchange. Yes, for uh, Rudolf Abel. Yeah, and that w- that took place, all right, kids, you might not know this. But when I was a kid, there were two Germanies. <laughs> there was an East Germany and there was a West Germany. No, no. And the exchange actually took place uh, uh, on a bridge between the borders of East Berlin and West Berlin. And uh, it was a very famous event. So uh, now there's no longer an East Germany and a West Germany. But back when I was a kid, there was. And that, this is what you know, this took place at that location because the, there was a Soviet controlled part and there was the German controlled part. Uh, all that is in the past now. Mm-hmm. Ask um, your parents about the Berlin Wall, kids. <laughs> well, there um, there were no really. I don't recall any other major famous incidents in which a U two was involved. Um, uh, there was the the Zeropa tour. The Zeropa tour. Yes, and I was wondering how long I could go without making a U two joke, and the, mm-hmm. the answer was twenty seven minutes. Um, but uh, ironically enough, I find. Um, uh, NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, has used the ER-2, which mm-hmm. is a, basically a, a modified U-2, uh, to collect information on um, the uh, on, on space phenomena and mm-hmm. and on the Earth itself. So, yes, in fact, it does make a pretty good uh, you know weather and and uh, observation plane for other purposes than just spying. Yeah, but, but still uh, being used that, as a as a spy plane. Oh, um, yeah. According to I just wh- thought it was kind of funny that, yeah, yeah. It, you know, the denials and then, you know, oh, well, as, as it turns out, you can use it for that. So I found out some more information about uh, – oh, and I was going to say – talk about the Blackbird and about how um, oh, yeah. it was supposed to be. That was also developed at Area 51. It was mm-hmm. originally called the A-12. That was its designation. Then eventually was known as the SR-71 Blackbird. Um, it was the successor to the U-2 mm-hmm. but was retired – and it had a useful life of uh, between 1964 and 1998. 1998 was when it was retired for the second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of like a professional wrestler. You know, retires and then comes back and then retires again. Uh, but in this case, only retired the two times. And there's no real way of making more of them because they destroyed the tooling machinery back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. When they built the Blackbird, the idea being that they didn't want it to fall into any other hands. And so this was a way of maintaining secrecy. The downside of that is that once you run out of Blackbirds, you don't have any more of them. Uh, there's no way to make more. Um, and so uh, they actually had a lot of issues with that. And there were several Blackbirds that were involved in various accidents and mm-hmm. incidents that made them uh, either they either were destroyed as a result or they were inoperable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they now all exist pretty much in museums. Mm-hmm. 
I think there might be one or two that um, belong to NASA, actually. But uh, there aren't any that are being used in military service. So the Air Force has stopped using the Blackbird. Well, you know, that was supposed to be the successor to the U-2. But they, again, stopped being used in 98. The U-2 kept going. Uh, since 1994, according to the Air Force, about $1.7 billion, with a B, dollars have been poured into the U-2 program to keep it up to date, mm-hmm. to, to modernize it, make sure that it's, you know, operating at... Uh, at a, a level that that modern warfare and modern politics demands, because you know we've gotten a lot more sophisticated with the ways that we uh, detect stuff. So in order to stay ahead, it had to a lot more money had to be poured into it. Mm-hmm. And according to one source I saw, since 2003, the Air Force has flown more than 95,000 hours using the U-2. But keep in mind there are only 33 of these things. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. Yep, yep. Well, the, uh, in case you're wondering, the RQ-4, uh, may not be off the table. Um, it is, uh, presumed that Northrop Grumman, the, uh, company that makes, well, the primary company that makes it, uh, will try to get it put back into the, uh, into the budget. And it may just be that it's a delay more than anything else. In fact, most of the sources I saw was that it, it's, it's that the date keeps getting pushed back. Like, yeah. uh, originally the, uh, the U2 was supposed to be retired by 2012. Yeah. Well, now uh, it is 2012. The, uh, the most recent date I saw was 2015. Yeah. But... And then I saw one that said it may be flying as late as 2050, which means it would be a hundred years old almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, uh, it takes three people to fly an RQ4. You know, you have to have a, an LRE pilot, an MCE pilot, and a sensor operator. And it only flies up to 60,000 feet, which is about 18,288 meters. Um, it it uh, ma- has a maximum speed of 357 miles per hour, about 310 knots. Um, so, you know, it's it's comparable in some ways, but in others, you know, the U-2 still outdoes it. So, yep, um, it's, it's impressive stuff, but uh, it's kind of funny to me that uh, the tried and true U-2 is still hanging in there, yeah. you know, despite all these other things that, that could replace it. Yeah. And part of that is the, the qualities of the U2. And part of that is, is purely economical. Mm-hmm. Sure. Just that, you know, there's just not the money to replace it. And that, uh, you know, we do have a need for reconnaissance vehicles and you might ask, well, why do we need that? Because we've got satellites now, right? True. We've got satellites that can spy on stuff. And that's true. We do have satellites, but satellites Beep. are not, yeah, stuff that beeps. Satellites are not capable of, of uh, focusing in on a very specific region at a reasonable amount of time in many cases. Mm-hmm. So it may be that you've got a great view of this one region, mm-hmm. but the problem is that the the issue that you need to look at is just outside of that that view, and in order to change the view on the satellite, it's going to take hours. Yeah. Whereas you could send a U-2 plane stationed in a nearby country to fly over and get a look right then and there. Yeah. And the way the world works... We need information instantly. We can't wait anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. For for instance, they might have uh, intelligence that a specific operation is going on right now, and they're going to hide whatever it is that they're moving. You know, some some kind of uh, weapons technology or some you know uh, something like that, or a or a uh, caravan of people or something. You know, it could be a variety of things that you'd yeah. want to see. Um, and by the time the Earth rotates back to where the satellite could take a, a good picture of it. It'll be too late. Yeah. Um, so that kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Spy stuff is cool. 
Yeah. And scary. Yes, it is. But yeah. um, oh, but and it did uh, play a major part in the uh, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes, it in did. the nineteen sixties, yes, was did. able to uh, get a, a good picture of what was going on there uh, between the Soviets and the Cubans. Yep. Um, do you? And you know, we didn't mention it, but do you know what the nickname is for the U two? Oh, uh, I did see it a moment ago, and then I scrolled past it in my notes. I, I I'm surprised I didn't mention it already. It is the Dragon Lady. Yes, you don't you don't hear it uh, mentioned. The U two is well known enough by its, by its normal designation that you don't really hear the nickname very often, like you no. do with the SR seventy one Blackbird. Yeah, for example. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's a cool name. A cool name. All right. Well, this wraps up this discussion about the U two. Like I said, we'll try and do one about Area fifty one specifically at some point. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about the other vehicles and technologies that came out of that research facility. Uh, and also talk about why it was so secret and, uh, you know, the whole craziness that surrounds Area 51 and, and how it plays a part in conspiracy theories because, you know. It does? You might not have heard about it. Um, you need to watch this documentary series called The X-Files. It goes all into it. <laughs> All right, and that was our classic Tech Stuff episode on the U-2 spy plane. We've talked about it several other times, obviously, when we talked about Area 51 and some of the other surveillance and spy technology podcasts, but I really enjoyed that original episode. I hope you guys did, too. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, you can write to me. My email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. The handle with all three of those is techstuffhsw, and I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 